Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Well, good morning. Glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're, we're going to be all over the place, but if you want to begin in the book of Hebrews... Uh, if you want to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, we will uh, ultimately start there, and, uh, but we will going to be in many different places. You know, there's this old tradition where, as a family, what we do is we take our children to the mall or to a store, we stand in a line with a bunch of other families and other parents and and, and, and so what we do, we're standing in line so that we can go and sit on the lap of a man that we have no idea we've never met him before. <laughs> well, yeah, we have. We met him last year. A man dressed in a red suit with a beard, and, and there may be some people around him dressed as, uh, as his elves. And we, we, the kids get up on their, their, his lap, and he asks them this one question. What do you want for Christmas? And as children, we sit on his knee and, and, and we, we listen closely, thinking, hoping that he's going to say, I'll bring you that for Christmas, right? Sometimes, though, on Christmas morning, what happens is we, we realize that you can't really trust Santa. <laughs> I know, it sounds bad. No matter how many songs we sing about him, no, no matter how many times we watch a, a animated picture about Santa Claus, it doesn't. It, he just doesn't always seem to always bring us what we want. <laughs> well, you deserve it. Um, I'm losing control here, aren't I? That's okay. You know, but hundreds of years before the time of, that Christ was born, the prophets of the Old Testament promised the coming of the Messiah. And this Messiah was going to come and he was going to put everything right. The world has always been in trouble. We like to think that our time, this, the time we live in right now, is the worst of times. In reality, there were much darker times than even than what we see today. But the Old Testament prophets promised that the Messiah would come and everything would be better. But they didn't just predict His coming. They gave details about His coming. They gave details about His lineage, His birth, His life, His death. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. And what we're going to explore this Christmas season is how these prophecies foretold the first coming of the Messiah. Hopefully, by doing so, we will see that God has a plan and we can look forward to the prophecies about the Messiah that have yet to be fulfilled because He's coming again. Now, I am a numbers guy. I spent 20 plus years in the accounting business and, and I can look at statistics and I, I, I love numbers. Statistics, I believe, kind of tell you, a, can tell you a story. They can clarify things. 
Dr. Peter Stoner, he took what was called the laws of probability. And you've seen these. You know, what are the chances of this happening? What are the chances of that happening? But he, he applied them to Jesus and the prophecies of the Old Testament. But he only chose eight. He chose eight prophecies of the 300 to see what are the probabilities that one man could do this, could ultimately fulfill eight of the 300 prophecies about him. So before I, before I go through what Dr. Stoner uh, figured out, I, I want to I kind of give you some idea of, of you know, some, something to relate probability and numbers to. So these are things that I hope don't happen to you on an everyday basis. <laughs> but these are things that happen, and what are the odds are that are going to happen to you? If you're going to be, there's a 1 in 700,000 chance you're going to be struck by lightning. That's not very good odds. You're probably not going to get struck by lightning in your lifetime. You have one in 10 million chance of becoming president. Hmm. Your house has a one in 180 billion chance of getting hit by a meteorite. That's why most insurance companies will insure you for that because they know it's not going to happen, right? You will eventually die. You have one chance in one that you're going to die. You know, and, and for today, I was, I was trying to find chances of getting COVID and dying from COVID. You know you can't find them? Because there are too many variables. They give you all kinds of numbers. So if anybody comes to you and says, well, you know, you're at high risk, they have no idea what they're talking about. Because there are too many variables and we're all different. But with probability, we have certainty in some of these probabilities. So let's, let's look at just eight of these prophecies that, from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled. The fact that there was going to be a forerunner, we know of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was one who was going to come before, the, before Jesus. He came before Jesus to prepare the way of the Lord. That was prophesied back in Malachi 3.1. There was only one in 1,000th chance that that was going to happen. The fact that the Messiah was going to ride a donkey into Jerusalem, which was prophesied in Zechariah 9.9, there's a one in 100th chance that that would happen. That the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend was prophesied in Psalm 41.9. There was one in 1,000th chance that, that the Messiah would be betrayed. That that person would betray the Messiah for 30 pieces of silver was, was prophesied in Zechariah 11.12. That's one in 1,000th chance. That those 30 pieces of silver would be thrown back into the temple and would be used to purchase a potter's field was also prophesied in Zechariah 11.13. There is one in 100th chance that that came true. That the Messiah would not say a word during his trial was prophesied in Isaiah 53.7. There's one in 1,000th chance that that was going to happen. That the fact that the Messiah was going to be crucified was prophesied in Psalm 22.16 before crucifixion was even developed. It was developed by the Persians, by the way. There's one in 10,000th chance that the Messiah would be, prophesied, would be crucified. And that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem was prophesied in Micah 5.2, and there's one in 287,000th chance that that was going to happen. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You were thinking back to the fact that, you know, 
there's a better chance of Jesus being born in Bethlehem than there is being struck by lightning. Yeah, you're right. But you can't just take one thing. If we look at all eight of these things, which all eight of them Jesus fulfilled, you have to combine them together. If you look at it, the fact that Jesus fulfilled all eight of these prophecies, there is, there was, there is um, one in ten with 27 zeros after it, chance. That's the number, if you can see it. The fact that Jesus would fulfill those eight prophecies, that's the chances, the odds that he would have done that. By the way, that number is one in ten sextillion. Never heard of it. One in ten sextillion. The interesting thing about that, that is the lowball number of the number of stars in the universe. Jesus fulfilled those eight prophecies. That was the chance that he could do it. That's just eight of the 300 that he will ultimately fulfill. So we're going to so we're going to look at some of these prophecies, not very many of these in here this week, but we're going to begin by looking at some of the core prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus when his, at his first coming. As we prepare for Christmas, and like I said, the goal is hopefully Christmas gets, gets a, a, a deeper meaning for us of understanding that this was not just some happenstance that happened. This was all planned from the very beginning. God made this happen in just the way he prophesied that it would happen. The first thing we want to look at we want to look at the fact that the Messiah was going to be God incarnate. This is going to be God coming down. So we begin by actually looking at the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, which I believe in the most part was written by the Apostle Paul. And this is what he wrote in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. He says, long ago, and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The prophets would speak to the people and speak to the king. That's how God spoke. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, to whom also he created the world. He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is, is more excellent than theirs. And then he goes on in Hebrews um, 1, 5 through 6, he says, for, for to which of the angels, to who did God say, ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me my son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. See, in, 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 in Hebrews here, Paul is quoting the Old Testament. He is quoting Psalm 2-7. And here's what Psalm 2-7 says. He says, I will, I will tell of the decree. The Lord, which is God, said to me, you are my son, Today I have begotten you. And then he continues in verse 8 of Hebrews. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And if you understand this, this is what's happening. You say, God tells the Son, You are God. Jesus is God. And Paul is quoting Psalm 45. 
6 through 7, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. Psalm 45 is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm about the Messiah. And Paul recognizes, and he says, this is what God said. In fact, if you look at there, in in verse 7, he says, Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. The Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, who was born in a manger, was anointed by God himself. Much more than any other human. Much more than any other angel. Much more than any other member of the council. And this is what... Paul continues in verse 10 of Hebrews 1. He says, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. And he's quoting Psalm 102, 25 through 27. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. And I want to quickly just kind of go back to Psalm 102 here and give you an idea of what David is writing. In verse, actually, it's in, in verse 12 of Psalm 102. He said, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You remember throughout all generations. You will rise and have pity on Zion. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has come. It is talking about the first advent. It is talking about you are, you are sending your son to Jerusalem, to Israel. Psalm 102 is a messianic psalm. And Paul is quoting it in Hebrews, saying that Jesus is God. And people will say, well, you know, Jesus never said he was God. And, but if you look at the trial, when Jesus is in front of the Sanhedrin, they keep asking him, are you the Messiah? And he starts talking, they start talking about Abraham, and he says, before Abraham, I am. And in Hebrew, that means he is declaring, I am God. Because that is, what, that is what God told Moses to call him, that he would tell the people that I am sent you. And what is the response of the high priest? They rip their clothes because he just blasphemed, saying he was God. Jesus proclaimed to be God. He was God incarnate. He was not just another baby born in a manger. And we're going we're gonna to talk more as we get along into these about the more specific details about his birth and how miraculous it was. But right now, again, we're just kind of laying the foundation. So God, that's the first one. God, he is, he is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. And it's interesting, um, and we'll talk about this when we get to the interaction between Gabriel and Mary, you know, He's 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 told you know that she tells him to call him God with us, Emmanuel. God with us. That was one of his names. The next one I want to look at is his genealogy. How many of you have ever researched your family history? We like it, don't we? Twenty three and Me, 
all these, all these services that you can go to and you can find out what your history was. I've done it. I've, got, I've made a family tree out of all the details that my aunts and uncles figured out back in West Virginia and, and gave it to my dad one time for his Christmas present, which was great. We have it. We know the history, the stories, because it's not just the list. It's actually information about the people. But we have Jesus' genealogy here. We have it in two places. We have it in Matthew, and we also have it in the book of Luke. Matthew 1, 1 through 17, and another one is Luke 3, 23 through 37. I am not going to read those. <laughs> I'm not going to go through reading them. I, I would like for you to stay awake for the rest of the sermon. It's like going back and reading the book of Numbers. It's difficult, I know. You need to do it, though. So I suggest you look at it, because I'm going to give you some details about it that you might find interesting. Now, both of these genealogies are similar, but different. How can that be? How can it be that both of these are the same, except there's some differences in them? I mean, wouldn't that make one of them incorrect? And we'll cover, we'll talk about why that is. What's interesting about the genealogy is, is that throughout history, the genealogy of Jesus has been revealed. It has been revealed. It's not revealed, except for in, in actually in the New Testament, it was not revealed in the Old Testament in one spot. People always wonder, how did they miss it? How did they, how did they not get the fact that the Messiah was going to come then? I mean, they have some of the details. The problem was, is we, we have a scripture where, Jesus, where God says that he... Well, Peter said, I think it was Peter, Paul says that God hid it because he didn't want the, heaven, the, the forces in the heavenly realm to know what was going on. They knew who Jesus was. They knew he was here. They knew the baby in the manger. They knew all that. They knew who he was. They didn't know why he was here. Hence the temptation of Christ, trying to get information, trying to figure it out. All part of God's plan. They're different and it's too, we're going we're gonna to see how this all pans out. But we first, what we have to do is we have to go back to Genesis, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis 3.15. And this is where it starts. This is where it starts. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Everything is peaceful. Everything is wonderful. They've been told to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth. They've been told to eat of anything, any plant in the garden except for one tree. The one thing they're not supposed to do, they do. And God is cursing them. And he gets to the serpent who who deceived them. And this is what it says. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring. We're going to talk about that in, in a few weeks. Maybe next week. It says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So when we look at that, we've got to understand that, first of all, that the Messiah was going to be a descendant of Adam and Eve. I know. Duh. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve. But there's something special about this offspring of Adam and Eve. We see the next revealing in Genesis 9 of his genealogy, 9, 26 through 27. 
It says, he also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And, and, and you may look at that, and you've got to know the whole story of what was going on. This was after the flood. Noah and his sons have, have, are beginning to create a life for themselves. And Noah builds a vineyard. And after a period of time, he makes wine. And we don't really know, because you've got to understand this was all, of course, written in Hebrew, and you've got to understand Hebrew and some of the context. It is thought that he may have gotten a little bit too, he vibed a little bit too much in the wine. Noah did. And he's in his tent, and he has, he has, is naked. I knew I was going to get a chuckle. <laughs> My son. And what happens is Ham, his son, comes in and sees him. And instead of honoring his father, he dishonors him. We don't know the full details of that. That's all we know. And he goes out and he tells his brothers. His brothers, which is Shem and Japheth, walk in backwards so they don't see their father's nakedness and they cover him. Noah awakes. He's a little angry with his son, with Ham. And he ends up cursing his son. And that's why it says that let Canaan be his servant. He curses Ham's son, Canaan. But he says, blessed be the Lord, first of all. He blesses God. And then he blesses Japheth. Because he says, may God enlarge Japheth. And it looks like these verses are also saying that Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem, but that's not what happened, because they split. They went to different parts of the world. In the, the Tower of Babel, it split off. Yes, it is believed that Ham, Shem, and Japheth were all at the Tower of Babel. People, people before the flood lived six, seven hundred years. People who were, so those Noah and his, his three sons lived longer. People after the flood lived two to three hundred years, just so you know. And we look at, the, we look at this verse and we, we kind of think that, you know, maybe, maybe it's Japheth who's going to live in the tents of Shem, but if you go to the Hebrew, that's not what it means. Because first he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. That's the topic. That's the subject. So when, he, when Noah says, and let him, he's not talking about Japheth. He's talking about God. Let God dwell in the tents of Shem, which is saying, let the Messiah come from the line of Shem. So we know that in the genealogy, if you can pop back up that genealogy list there, Sam, we know that up until the time of David, that's who it goes to, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, uh, Mahulalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and it goes to Shem, Noah, and then to Shem. Messiah will come from Shem. And then in Genesis 12, 3 and 7, it reveals that the Messiah will be descendant of Abraham. And then in uh, Genesis 22, 18 and 26, 2 through 5, he's in the descendant of Isaac. And in Genesis 49, 10, we're going to find out that he's of the descendant of Judah. So let's look at that. This is a promise that is made. 
And this is how you have to look at prophecy. You have to see the promises made and how they're fulfilled. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until the tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now, again, we have to remember that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And sometimes when the translators would translate it, they would not necessarily use the same words that the Hebrew people would have used because they recognize it. And what this actually says in the actual Hebrew version, this is what it says. Instead of saying until tribute comes to him, it says until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh is another name for the Messiah. So what this is saying, this is saying that number one, Judah's line will always be rulers, will be kings in Israel. Until the Messiah comes. And when the Messiah comes, that's it. He's the last one. And you're like, well, wait a minute, but, but Israel doesn't have a king right now. You're right. It doesn't. It's a democracy. And until Jesus comes again, they have no king. But when he comes again, he will be their king. In fact, he'll be king of the whole world. Jesus is king now. Think about this. How is it possible for Jesus to tell his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations? But what does he say before that? He says, all power and authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's king. He has all power and all authority. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I am with you always to the end of the age. So when we, we're not, see, here's the problem. When we are, when we are, when we are actually going and trying to evangelize people and tell them about the gospel, we think we're trying to change their mind to say, hey, why don't you join our party? It's like joining the Republican or Democratic Party. It's not about joining a party. It's about saying the good news that you're living in his kingdom and you honor him as God you're a member of his kingdom and when he comes again if you're not honoring him if you don't believe in him if you don't claim him lord of your life you will no longer be in his kingdom that's what we're telling them that's the good news that's what this prophecy is about and historically we found this to be true that within the line of Judah the kings have always been and after the Messiah's death, after Jesus was crucified, the nation of Israel was dispersed and did not return until 1948. And, and I'll, I'm not sure how I'm going to use this or if I'm going to teach a class or what we're going to do, but I can, I can show you with prophecy and dating, I can show you that the Bible tells you the exact date that Israel becomes a new nation. The exact day. God's prophecy is true. It comes to it comes to fruition. It's true. Right now, Israel is a democracy. There's no Jewish kings, and there will not be a king again until the second coming of the Messiah, because Jesus is the final king. Now, there there are some differences in this, and we need to in the genealogy. Go ahead and bring the genealogy back up again. If you look here at King David, you can see it splits. That Luke goes this way. And Matthew goes that way. Matthew goes through Solomon, and Luke goes through Nathan. We can't help but notice that. Besides the fact that actually, um, and this doesn't show it correctly, but one genealogy goes forward, meaning from, 
from the start to coming to Jesus, the other one goes backward, going to Jesus and working his way backwards. It's interesting. Matthew being a... Um, Matthew actually, actually being a, a Jew and Luke being more Gentile, being Roman. Um, Matthew goes from Abraham to Jesus and Luke goes from uh, all the way back from Jesus all the way back to Adam. And like I say, where they part is where it comes to David. Now, now Luke's genealogy follows through his son Nathan while Matthew goes through his son Solomon. And, and how, could, I mean, how could they be different and yet legitimate? We've got to understand this. And there are many theories, but the one that makes the most sense is that Matthew records a biological lineage of Joseph. And Luke records a legal lineage instead of a biological. And here's the reason why. If we, if we go to Matthew, Matthew 1.12, there's one name in, in the genealogy that causes some issues. Matthew 1.12 says, And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shethiel, and Shethiel the father of Zerubbabel. Why is that important? Jeconiah or Jehoiakim in First Chronicles and Coniah in Jeremiah, all the same person, was the king of Judah who was deported as part of the Babylonian captivity. All these, all of the people in, the, in that line were kings, were part of the line of Judah. But we have that one person. So what happens? This is what is written in Jeremiah 22.30. It says, Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. God is talking about Jeconiah or, or uh, Kaniah or, or Jehoiakim, as whichever name you want to call him. Write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. It says none of the descendants of Jeconiah will ever rule. It would seem that the curse of Jeconiah would invalidate Jesus' right to reign on the throne of David. Because we have this promise that God made to David in First Chronicles. He says, when you're, and this is another prophecy that is getting fulfilled. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, meaning David, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. That would be Solomon. But then God switches, starts talking about the Messiah. He shall build a house for me that's still Solomon, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will take my steadfast love from him. I will not take my steadfast love for him, as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. He switches from talking about Solomon to talking about the Messiah. God does. If Jesus is the descendant of Jeconiah, he cannot fulfill this promise, since the curse bars any of Jeconiah's descendants from sitting on the throne. And this is the argument that Muslims will use to say that Jesus could not have been the Messiah. But see, that's, that's the thing. We don't, we've got to make sure we look at this correctly. We have to keep in mind that the, the full extent of Scripture, because we must understand that Jesus only had one parent. One biological parent. And that was Mary. She was from the line of David, but not through the line of Jeconiah. 
Because if we go to Luke, which is actually the genealogy of Mary, it says in Luke 3.31, the son of Malia, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David. It's going backwards, remember, instead of going forwards like Matthew's does. That's that same area. Joseph's, Joseph was Jesus' legal father, but not his biological father. We'll talk about that next, about the virgin birth. The curse of Jeconiah stopped with Joseph. And Joseph did not pass it on to Jesus because Jesus was not a biological son of Joseph. Now, you tell me, how is it possible for anybody in the, to make this, make this happen? Only God can make this happen. Only God could plan it out this way. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that leads us to the final one for today, and that's the virgin birth. In Matthew, this is what Matthew says, Matthew 1.18-21. And you guys know this story. If you've been in a church any part of your life, you, you've probably heard this, but Understand, it's important that we go over this. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, they were, they were married. If you understand the marriage um, process, usually the father and the son, a father and son would come to the, the, the girl he wanted to marry, to her family, and they would make a marriage arrangement, pay a dowry. But they wouldn't get married for a year. And they wouldn't consummate the marriage. They wouldn't sleep together or live together for that first year. That was the tradition. That's how it worked. If we talk about prophecy sometime, I'll tell you how how that ties into Christ coming back. Because the groom goes away to prepare his home. But only the father knows when the home is ready. So when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He wasn't going to stone her. He was going to divorce her. End it. Which was possible. If there was any, any uh, fornication, any sexual relations that happened with anybody, with the bride or the groom, the marriage would be stopped. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, or Yeshua, Joshua, in reality, which means God saves. He says, for he will save his people from their sins. You want to know the first place where we see the virgin birth mentioned in the Bible? Go back to Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, the same verse we talked about earlier, showing that he was from a descendant of Adam and Eve. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Notice this verse says, her offspring. Or her seed, depending on which version you're looking in. See, in most cultures, in many cultures, a child is regarded as the offspring of the father or his forefathers, especially in the Jewish culture. 
Jesus' actual name, his human name was Jesus bar Joseph. Jesus, the son of Joseph. Or GM. So in fact, in Joseph's dreams, what is Joseph called? He says, Joseph, the angel says, Joseph, son of David. He's the son of his forefathers, not his foremothers. No offense, moms. You're very important. But when it comes to this prophecy, it's important for us to understand that God, in Genesis 3.15, is talking about the virgin birth. He says, her offspring, not his. We also have a, another reference to the virgin birth in Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah. We're going to study him um, next year, the beginning of next year. It was probably written about 740 B.C., in the year of the king that Uzziah died. I want to set this up a little bit, this prophecy that Isaiah is going to share. See, Ahaz was the grandson of Uzziah, was reigning in the northern kingdom, and Syria was going to attack Jerusalem. God sends Isaiah to give the king a message, and that, that the invaders are not going to win, they're going to fail. And God tells Ahaz, I want you to, to ask for a sign. And Ahaz says, oh, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. Oh, I honor God way too much. I don't want to ask God for the sign. And God says, Are you, I told you to do this, and you're not going to do it? That's my version. That's not exactly what it says. But that's what he meant. So I'm going to give you one anyways. And this is what it says in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. And the other thing, it says, just as a little side note, this is interesting, um, in two verses later in 7.16, he says, For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. So before Jesus has his bar mitzvah, his time of coming of age, Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel will become desolate. And that prophecy was fulfilled during the Roman Parthian Wars of, of, in 60 to 20 B.C. It happened. It was fulfilled. The land of Syria was laid waste and divided, one half going to Rome and the other half going to Parthia. And the northern kingdom of Israel, known as Samaria, during, the time of Jesus was, uh, during that time, before the time of Jesus, was sent into, uh, to Assyrian captivity in 722 B.C. God is sovereign. He has a plan. And that plan will occur. If all these prophecies, if even these ones we've talked about in the eight that were on that list, if those have come true, how much more will the remaining prophecies about the Messiah come true? Jesus is coming back. But not in a stable but on a horse with a sword to make war against the spiritual forces of darkness and the evils of man. You know, we, we can't depend on the man in the red suit with the beard to always get us what we want. That jolly old fat man is going to let us down. But you can rest assured and you can trust that the word of God and the prophecies of Christ will never let us down. Jesus will always come through. The God-man of the line of David, born of a virgin, who was prophesied of long ago, at least 700 plus years before his birth, came into the world to save us from our sins. He's Emmanuel, God 
with us. That's what we celebrate Christmas. And that is why we take communion. Father, we praise you. We praise you for the prophecies of old that, that told of your first coming, the first advent. The Jews were waiting in anticipation for a Messiah to come, but they missed it, Father. They didn't understand. Lord, I, I pray as we live our lives in anticipation of the next advent of your coming, that, that we don't miss it, that we understand and we see and we continue to read the prophecies of the old and the new that look forward to the day of your return. Not, Lord, so that we can hunker down in a bunker and wait for you to come back, but so that we can share the good news that God's kingdom is here now, that Jesus is Lord and King. We just need to make him Lord of our lives, become part of his kingdom. And when he comes back, we will live with him forever. We praise you for the promises of old. We praise you for the fulfillment of the prophecies that we can see plainly in your word. And we look forward to the ones yet to be fulfilled. Walk with us each day, Father. Help us, to, help us, Father, to continue to share the good news, especially now during this season. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.